Look at Exodus 20. Look at Exodus 20. Look at verses 22, going down to the verse first in 21. So it says in God's word, starting with verses 22, then the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, remember the Ten Commandments have just ended, that you have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make anything to be with me, gods of silver or gods of gold, you shall not make for yourself. But an altar of the earth you shall make for me, and you shall sacrifice on it burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I record my name, I will come to you and I will bless you. And if you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it on hewn for it for you shall your tool on it. You shall have profaned it, nor shall you go up by steps to my altar that your nakedness may be exposed on it. Chapter 21, verse 1. Now these are the judgments which you shall set before them, the people. So if you have been here, or you need a little... A crash course on where we have been. If you are a visitor, we're about seven to eight months in the book of Exodus. And God has blessed our church with such faith, gospel-centered, adventurous stories in the first 20 chapters. Um, It might not of you, but the first half of Exodus has blessed my soul so much. It's been a lot. Do you remember week one? I sat and the first question I asked you, week one in January, I said the first thing that we have to answer as a church, chapter one, verse one, is why are the people of God in Egypt in the first place? Do you remember that question? And so what we did is Egypt is a continuation or Exodus is a continuation of Genesis. And the reason that the people are there is because of Joseph, because of Jacob. That's why they are enslaved 400 years from the end of Genesis. And so what do we see at the very beginning of Exodus? Moses is born. And do you remember? Moses is born and he is saved. He is spared. You see the gospel even in that story. Why is he spared? How is he spared? Do you remember? What does Pharaoh say? These people are growing in numbers and strength. I got I to gotta put my thumb on them. I got to keep them down. I have to control it. So if a woman is having a child and he is a male, what do you do with them? You throw them in the water, you kill them. So what did they do? They threw them in the water in a basket. And who saved Moses? Pharaoh's daughter. So you're like, man, the story is already becoming a dramatic film. You saw the adventure up front, week one, month one. He's saved from death from Pharaoh's daughter. He's raised in the palace. Moses gets a little older and he's a best of the both worlds. And what does Moses do? He has enough of all of the slavery and all the persecution and all of the abuse. And he kills a man. I remember my brother Chad, who I love. He was studying the word. He thought it was adventurous. He loved Exodus. And I remember him calling me one day. He was, Hunter, I'm reading in advance. And Moses just murdered somebody. And I was like, brother, don't give it away. I don't know. <laughs> he killed someone. And what does Moses do? He runs away. 
Later in his life, he's, he's retired. He lives with his father-in-law, Jethro. He has a wife. He has two kids. He's living the good life, right? He's living in an old country home on land, being a shepherd, and God calls him out of it. Do you remember that month of sermons that we talked through all the back and forth? Do you remember that? Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth with man and God. Moses, I'm calling you to be my instrument. And what does Moses say? They're not going to know who I am. I'm an old, uneducated shepherd. I can't talk. And if they do know me, they're not going to think highly of me because what am I? I'm a murderer. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But finally Moses obeys. And Moses goes. And he stands head to head, nose to nose with Pharaoh. So former slave, former Israelite. So we look at this moment. He was raised in the castle. He's a grown man. He's older in life. And he's standing with the king of the world. He confronts, he confronts Pharaoh. And then what did our church go into? Maybe some of my, my best times that I enjoyed in this. We went through the plagues. We experienced Easter at the Civic Center. And that was the Passover, which God blessed us so much and how all of that lined up. And do you remember that? If you're going to murder little babies, if you're going to murder little babies in the Nile, then I'm going to turn your precious Nile into what? Into blood. Do you remember the sermon? If you want frogs, I'll give you what? Frogs. Do you remember the messages where he put his hedge of protection and all the flies and the hails and nothing touched the people? Do you remember all of the plagues? Do you remember the Passover? And then it led into what? Freedom. Freedom. The people were finally free and they went on to their journey. And then we had the story of the Red Sea where Moses was leading the hundreds of thousands of people. And they stared at this water and what came behind them, Pharaoh and the people, because the people told Pharaoh, why did you let all of our free labor go? We got to go get them. And so all of the people, including Moses, was staring at this body of water that they didn't know what to do with. But they heard the chariots coming. And what did God do? He split the water. And as they passed over, they saw the water come crashing down on the villain. And so we find ourselves halfway into the story. Where else are we going to go? But now there's a new villain. Who is the new villain in Exodus after Pharaoh died? It's kind of the sequel of the movie. And the new villain is them. It's you versus you. There's no more Pharaoh. There's no more heavy heart and hand of the Egypt. There's no more of that. It is them versus them. And so we find ourselves at Mount Sinai. We find ourselves at the Ten Commandments. And we go through all of them as a church. And last week, the message and the charge was don't fight conviction. Do not fight conviction. Stop debating it. Try, stop trying to wiggle around it. God's commands, God's charge, God's call, God's law is for your good. I loved my conversation at the swimming pool with one of my great friends, David Wilkins, and he put it better than I did. He said, man, there's no fulfillment in anything else. I said, brother, I wish I would have said it that way. There's no fulfillment in the world. So stop trying to run from what God has placed as commands and charges into your life. And so we find ourselves 
That's chapter 21. Please hear me, church. That is what I just unpacked for you. If you've been a part of this church, man, that is the beauty in learning God's word. That is the beauty in learning God's word. I talked to Ben and Melissa and Crystal and I, and I drove to St. Louis with my brother Lane and I asked him, I've asked a lot of you guys, I, I, and you might have just been trying to be kind to me and not make yourself look bad, but I asked you, man, if someone asked you to explain the first half of Exodus, could you do it? And like I said, you might have been just trying to be kind or not embarrass yourself, but all of my brothers and sisters said, yes. Hunter, I think I could. Maybe not 21, but 1 through 20, man, I could do a pretty good job. Could you? Like, if I didn't call you on this stage, I just said, let's do it over coffee. Can you talk to me about what I just laid out? And if you say yes, man, that is bigger than you realize. To learn God's word, to study God's word, to know God's word, to understand the depth of what this book is. Man, that is only through the Holy Spirit that lives within you and made it understandable for your mind and heart to even grab onto. Praise God for the dots that are connected. It feeds the spirit that lives within you. I like how that's said. If you are saved by God's grace and God's mercy and you are filled with the spirit, when you learn and when you grow in God's word, it feeds it. It is a buffet that you leave from and go, man, my spirit is full. I think so many of us have grown up in the church and each and every Sunday in Sunday school class, it's just these spiritual fortune cookies of Galatians this day and Ephesians this day and Genesis this day. And you're just, you're working on verses and you don't know the story and you don't know the situation and you don't know what God is doing and his sovereign plan through all of it. You're just hit with all of these verses. But when it comes to Exodus, you go, Hunter, I have no idea. I don't know how the Old Testament connects to the new and the new to the old. How Isaiah connects to Jesus. I don't don't know. And if you're able to start connecting the dots. Praise God for it. So that is the first 20 chapters of Exodus. So you have to ask yourself. What do the next 20 look like? If the first 20 hunter in your words are so adventurous. And so wonderful. And the villain has already been put to death. And now it's just people and themselves. What in the world would the next 20 chapters be about? Listen to me. The next 7 to 10 chapters are pretty hard to preach through. They're pretty difficult. I want you to understand the big picture. And if you're a note taker, there's not going to really be a lot of slides here. Remember, we got home at 2 o'clock in the morning. Not a lot of slides. But I want you to take notes because there's some historical biblical things that I need you to grasp. That if you can grasp them, no one will take from you. In chapter 20, we have the Ten Commandments. And what I would venture to say for most of us, you've all heard the Ten Commandments. You might not have known how they apply to the bigger arching story in Exodus. But you've known them, you've heard them, right? Well, chapters 21 through about 30 is what scholars would call the book of the covenant. And it's much harder to grab. And so I've known this is coming, church. And honestly, your pastor has been a little intimidated. 
I've been a little intimidated and God's blessed me and blessed this church because one thing that I have seen as a church is that all of the Bible is filled with gold. You just got to dig. In some places you got to dig a little harder than others, but there's gold all places. And so as a church, you've witnessed this. What have we gone through as a church? We've gone through lamentations and Micah and Nahum and Habakkuk. I've had people come to me in the church and go, Hunter, I didn't even know that was a book of the Bible, right? And now I love it. I love it. And so one thing as a teacher, I've recognized, Hunter, you can go anywhere and it is going to bless. But man, you start going into Exodus 21 through 30. It's a little hard. And it's a little challenging. And it's a little difficult. So the first thing in this journey that we're going to go on that I need you to grab for the minds that need to grab onto the bullet points is that the Ten Commandments are God's moral law. It's the bird's eye view. They have not changed. This is what God says about how to love him and love the people, right? They're God's moral law. And now the book of the covenant is how to apply God's moral law to everyday life. It's how to apply it. And you say, well, Hunter, there's nothing hard about that. That's what I need. I need you to talk and teach about how God is seen in each and every day, the morning to night, my neighbor and wife. Like, I need this. Let me read a few verses to better explain some of the challenges of going through the next 10 chapters. You don't have to flip. God's word says that if an ox, raise your hand if you have some oxes. Samuel rose, rose his hand back there, but that's it. It's just Samuel, okay? And I don't know if I believe him. So nobody has ox, okay? So we're already behind the eight ball. It says, if an ox gores a man or a woman, and he gores them to death, then the ox shall surely be stoned, and the flesh shall not eat and be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall be acquitted. And if a man opens a pit... On his property, or if a man digs a pit and does not cover it, and an ox or donkey falls in it, then the owner shall of the pit shall make it good with the other individual who owns the ox or donkey. He shall give money to the owner, but if the dead animal now belongs to him and he can do whatever he wants to, it seems fair. I don't know how to apply it, but it seems justified. It says, You shall not permit a sorceress to live. Raise your hand if you've got a lot of sorceresses that you need to kill around you in Huntington. Don't raise your hand, Samuel. Right? What about this one? Whoever lies sexually with an animal, they also got to go. They also have to be put to death. And so the thing that I was talking to my brother Brent here about, these aren't just like a chapter with like 10 to 12 verses. They're like chapters with like 45 verses. And so it's a little harder to preach through. So unless you are just a wonderful intellectual historian, or if you own a bunch of ox, it's a little harder to apply this. And honestly, the high majority of it is not even required to you and I today. So what are you and I going to do? Please hear me. This is good stuff. 
What are you and I going to do? Because here's an interesting thing for believers in the church, because I don't think you were raised this way, at least most of you. When you start getting to texts like this, what does everybody do? Let's skip over it. Let's find some more Red Sea. Let's find some more pharaohs. Let's find some more things to grab our attention. Hunter, you can't read through all of this. Or we're all going to be killing sorcerers around Huntington. You can't do it. So you have to ask yourself some questions. Is it even needed? Is it even needed? Do we need these 10 chapters? Is it helpful to you and I? Is there gold here? Is there gold in Exodus 21 through 30? Is it helpful for people in 2022? And hear my words. I believe that it is. I believe the book of the covenant, even though if laws are not required, relevant, or current to you and I today, it shows us the amazing picture that God cares about every aspect of life. How you treat your spouse to how you treat your waitress, God cares about it. In all aspects of life, the fact that God, because you got to remember, these people are starting from scratch. These people are day one. They don't have a home. They don't have a, they have nothing. And the fact that God cares enough to address every single aspect of life, even how man treats his livestock is good news for you and I. The book of the covenant is about living faithfully daily. Not only when you're facing pharaohs, but also when you're facing neighbors that are disruptive. I was reading an article about a non-believing scholar and journalist that spoke about Exodus 24 and other aspects of the Bible, Leviticus and other Old Testament scriptures that are hard to digest. And this was his words. He says, obviously, when you read some of the later chapters in Exodus, you can fully see that the Bible is not true or accurate or written by God. Do you hear that? Many, this is good for us, many people that discount God and laugh at the church will pull from some of the texts that you and I are going to be reading, so it's essential that you get it, even for my kiddos. And so this journalist says, if you read what you and I are about to read, obviously, if you have any common sense, you know that it is not written by God. Why? The man says, why would God speak to such trivial matters when they aren't relevant or understood? Obviously, this is written by man. And so this is one thing that I want to warn you on for the next month and a half or so, as we're diving into some of these laws and some of the the word of God that might be a little bit hard to, to understand or grasp. I hope your mind doesn't go towards not believing that it's written by God, but your mind will go to, why is it here? Like, why is this here? For any of my Bible readers, have you ever thought that? Have you ever read something else, especially Old Testament, and go, man, I just don't know why it's in this book. It seems strange, but it's not strange. It's amazingly appropriate. Do you know why? God speaking to the Israelites in the middle of the desert about how to pay their taxes on time and how to water their crops and be kind to their neighbor 
and to pay their servants is no different than you and I talking to our young children about how to live on their own when they leave our house. I started speaking to my boys at the age of five about what to look for in a spouse way before they took their first date or had their first kiss. You grasp that? Why? Because it's good parenting. So we look at this and we go, man, like, why does God care or speak on such a thing? Because these are God's children. And when God's children start to live in these circumstances, in which he knows he's either going to bless them or hurt them, he wants their mind to go, man, I heard my father explain what to do well before I had a chance to either mess it up. And so when my kids, girls and boys start to date in court and start to look at someone to spend their life with, I want them to go, man, I fully understand before beauty and riches and fun times that I need my bride to be or my husband to be, to be a man or woman of the Lord. Why? Because my dad told me that when I was four. But on paper, how ridiculous does it look to do something like that? And so for the world, they look at this and go, man, this is ridiculous. Believers look at this and go, man, this is just amazing parenting. Make sense? And so this is why you and I in 2022 see the beauty in a law that is not current, relevant, or even required. And we see the gospel and beauty in it because God cares about all things. So if God cares about all things... What was the first words of direction he gives his children? Look at Exodus. What is the first thing? And you're going to go, man, when after I read this to you, you're like, that was the first. It's strange. But man, we're going to see the beauty. We're going to see the gospel. We're going to see Jesus in it. Look at Exodus 21. Just the first two verses. Will you highlight those for me? <clears throat> Now, remember, God's speaking to Moses. He's like, I'm about to give you a lot here. He says, now, these are the judgments which you shall set before the people. What does God tell him first? If you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years. And in the seventh, he shall go out free and pay Nothing. Johanna, I did not think that was going to be the first thing out of his mouth. Very strange, but no, amazingly appropriate. Now understand the moment the Israelites were former slaves. There's a difference, church. Please take notes. If you write in your Bible, write right at the first of 21. Put slave versus servant. The Israelites were former slaves. They knew harsh conditions. They knew abuse. They knew sadness. But what were they now? They were free. And they were not just free. They were free physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And so it was essential to God speaking to the people that those individuals, those former slaves, never looked at themselves that way or treated each other in that way because now they were brothers, they were family. So on the subject of slavery and on the subject of servanthood, context is important because I said the unbelieving scholars 
They point to this text. It's good for you to know by young people that are going into school and you're getting older and you're going to meet people. Non-believers will point to texts like this and go, man, this is not the awesome God that you talk to me about. Slavery? Demeaning children and women? Like, this is not the Jesus that you talk about and sing about loves you, right? But let's look at the context. Let's understand the moment. When I say slavery, you and I, our minds go to the Civil War. And we think about abuse. And we think about the sin nature of how we've treated others in trafficking and selling. We think of Pharaoh and the Israelites and the Egyptians. That's what we think about. Note this. That is not what's being talked about in Exodus 21. God is not encouraging the slavery and servanthood that you put in your mind concerning our history in this country. If anything, the servanthood is completely the opposite of what our minds understand about slavery. And you know this for a fact by some of the verses that come afterwards. Look at 21.16. Look at 21.16. Highlight it. It says, He who kidnaps a man and sells him... Or if he is found in his hand, shall surely be put to death. Servanthood is not this day and age slavery in what is taught. It was profitable back then. And so what God is telling the people, he says, listen, when you go out from this land and you find the promised land and you start to grow, there is going to be those who have and those who have not. You're going to separate. People are going to be different. But there is a way that it profits for all. This was a way of employment, work, paying off debt. This was community. I read a commentary recently. and He says, you know, the day and age where like men would, would work out there and they would farm or they would labor. Or you had people who worked in factories. Some of you guys know this lifestyle. He goes, that's more of the picture that we read in the Bible. These are not men who are owned. This was a way of building community in these people's lives. Former slaves now freed, about to spread their lifestyles out. He's trying to keep love and grace in them. Look at how this plays out in verses 3 through 11. It says, if he comes in, we see this by this verse. It's true. It's not slavery. If he comes in by himself, guess what? He shall go out by himself. But if he comes in married, if he has a family, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master has given him a wife and she has borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters and he shall go out by himself. If the servant plainly says, will you highlight, we're going to, this is the gospel, we're going to come back to it. I don't care how old you are, highlight five and six. But if the servant, not the slave... But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, and I will not go free, then his master shall bring him to the judges, and he shall also bring him to the door, to the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ears with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. And if a man sells his daughter to be a female slave, and he shall not go out of the male slaves do... If she does not please her master who has betrothed her to himself, then he shall let her be redeemed. 
He shall have no right to sell her or to foreign people since he has dealt deceitfully with her. He didn't have that right. And if he has betrothed her to his son, he shall deal with her according to the custom of daughters. So he even talks about the the boss and the employee bringing the, the servants into their own family, taking their name. If he takes another wife, he shall not diminish her food, clothing, or marriage rights. If he does not do these three for her, then she shall go out free without paying any money. So understand, church, I know that's a lot historically. Times were different. Rights of employment were different. But this was all about treating others with the grace and the mercy and the love and the freedom that they have been experienced. No matter if you are the rich businessman or the poor laborer, you are now free. You are now family. Do not ever look at yourself as a slave. But more importantly, don't ever be a pharaoh to someone else. Why in the world, Hunter, is the first thing that God tells the people about servanthood and, and master and servant? Because these people were slaves. And he says, you are slave no more. You have been freed. But there are going to be ones that have, those who have not. But understand, do never be the Pharaoh in someone else's life. This was not slavery. I want you to see evidence of this. I told you to put your tassel in Deuteronomy. It's the only place I have you flip. I want you to see it. This is great history, guys, if you can grab it. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 15. So many who don't believe in God and scoff at the Bible will point to this text and and say, man, your God is not loving. Your God is not real. Your God is not good. None of those things are true. They're uneducated. They're uninformed. Look at Deuteronomy 21, starting with verse 12. If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you and serves you six years, then in the seventh year you shall let him go free from you. And when you send him away free from you, you shall not let him go away empty-handed. This doesn't sound like slavery. You shall supply him liberty from your flock and from your threshing floor and from your wine press. From what the Lord your God has blessed you with, you shall give to him. You shall remember that you were a slave yourself in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you in this thing today. In these laws, they might not apply to our circumcise, our circumcision. Our circumstances, not circumcision, but they do apply in theory. They do apply in theory. Treat others with the same grace that you've experienced. No matter if you are servant or you are master, you are both former slaves and you are both now free. Treat with people the remembrance of that. There are going to be differences But it does not overshadow the commonality of the free blood that runs through your veins as a free man or the blood that has covered you now in God's grace. We see the gospel in Exodus 21. I want you to see it. I told you to highlight it. We're going back to it. I want you to see Jesus in Exodus 21 because it proposes a lot of great questions. 
Where is Christ in the book of the covenant when it comes to master and servanthood and the idea of slavery? So God tells them early on, but if a servant plainly says, I love my master, who would say such a thing? I love my master. I love my wife. I love my children. I will not go out free. That his master shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door and to the doorpost. And his master shall pierce his ear with an awe. And he shall serve him forever. So I want to slow things down. In a life of servanthood, who in their right mind would decide to stay? Not only should the question be asked, who in their right mind would stay? Who would stay if you were given the option of leaving and not just leaving, but leaving with a great amount of the profit of your master? Who in their right mind decides to stay? The better question is, what master is deserving of such love and loyalty? Because that's not slavery. That's not what you and I have been taught. Who decides to stay and who is worthy of them staying? Only a master who is full of grace. Only a master who is full of love. Only a master who has provided every need. And so what we see in this book of the covenant in a text that's hard to digest, we see a version of the best life. And a life of servanthood to an all-loving and an all-providing master. And we see humility in the servant looking at his child and looking at his bride and going, Hey guys, I know we can leave and I know that we can leave with a bunch of his stuff, but it is not getting better than this. It's the gospel. It is the beauty of God and who Jesus is in our life. And so during this time, they had a ceremony where they would come. I just read it to you. And they would come to basically the courthouse and they did it for everybody to see. It was their baptism. And so what the men would come, I want you to think about a stage like this. So I'd get my son here in London and London goes, hey, man, you have been a great master. You have been a great boss. You have provided every need for me and my family, my wife. You've been everything for me. I choose to stay. And I'd bring my my son, I'd bring London to the front of the courthouse and I'd get this large tool and it it is like it sounds. And I would look at his ear and I would pull it down on the stage and I would hammer a big hole in it. Big enough hole that when you walked in somewhere, everyone could see it. Do you know why? It was a symbol of who you belong to. That not only am I a servant, but I chose to serve him. Because he is good enough and worthy enough. And there is no better way. There is no better way. David, you don't have to flip, speaks. So we look at the servant, the servant who does such a thing. And we look at King David. And what does he say in Psalms? Sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but my ears pierced is what you desired. My ears pierced is what you desired. Burnt offerings and sin offer you are not required. And then I said, behold, I come and in the scroll book, it is written of me. I delight to do your will. Oh, my God. And your law is within my heart. If you're a note taker, 
I choose to stay. I choose to stay. I was reading a story about President Lincoln and his hatred of slavery and what you think of slavery and what led to the Civil War. And I read these excerpts of where he would write in his journal about his desire for them to do away with slavery. And what he would do is he would travel all around politicking. And when he was there, he would go into these places where slave trading would take place. And he would go and he would bid and he would bid on people and give them their freedom. He'd go in as just a common man and do this, not as president. And so he wrote about this one instant where he came into this place and what we say is Virginia today. And there's journal writings about it. He says, I saw a young African-American girl, a slave, and she was just completely distraught. He wrote about her character. He said she was angry and resentful. She was bitter and depressed and sad. He goes, I could not see her eyes because her head hung low. He said, so I bid. And then I bid and I bid and I bid and I bid and I won. He says, this young woman comes to the president after she, after he had won her freedom with paying the cost, paying the price. And this young girl comes to the president, not knowing who the president is. And she said, sir, what would you do with me? Where will I go now? And the president looked at this young girl and said, now you're free. And so the young girl, confused because she's never been free in her life, says, I don't understand. I'm free of what? And the president says, you're free to go. And so she starts asking all these questions. I'm free to speak? The president said, you're free to speak. I'm free to marry. You're free to marry. I'm free to have children. You're free to, I'm free to travel. You're free to travel. I'm free to cook. You're free to cook. So she starts crying. And the president said, now that you have your freedom, where will you go? And the young woman looked at the president and said that if you'll have me, I'd like to go wherever you're going. That is freedom. That is understanding what God has done for you through the life of his son. And when you recognize that, that I was formerly lost, I was formerly a slave. I understand the price, the cost of my life. I have been freed. I choose to stay. Now that you're free, life will change. But never go back to your former days. Treat each other in the love and the grace that you have experienced yourself. No matter if you are a servant or you are a master, you are both former slaves and you are now both saved and free. There was this young man, for my young people, listen to me if you're in school. There was this young guy that was kind of the easy target in elementary school that I went to school with and I went to school in Jackson and went to school with this same kid from elementary, middle school, and high school. And he was kind of the easy target to bully, right? He had the whole package. He, he lived under the poverty rate, so he wore the same clothes every day, never had new shoes, had holes in his shoes, 
had hair in his eyes because he couldn't afford a haircut, had braces and had glasses and acne in middle school. And like he was the whole package, right? He was an easy target to make fun of, but the kindest kid. And so I remember not really knowing this, this kid very, very well, but I knew of his name and I knew of his situation. He always sat, young people, he always sat at the table and lunch that nobody wants to sit at, right? And so the, ta- the people that everybody wants to sit at, they were the easy targets for him to make fun of. And so high school comes and God does a miraculous thing in my, my buddy's life. And all of a sudden he's not an easy target. He's envied by all. Guys and girls. So I remember like sophomore year, I remember this guy coming to school and all of a sudden like braces come off. I don't know if you realize that, but one day they'll come off, right? And he got a haircut and he got a job when he turned 16 at a gym. So he was able to work out and build a stature, get strong, get some muscles at an early age every day for free because he worked at this gym. The owner paid him and let him work out there for free. He did it five days a week. And so God grew this young man. And not only did he have a little money in his pocket and he get older and he was a good looking guy, took care of himself now. But he was bigger than any of the guys. He was stronger than any of the guys. Now, all of a sudden, all the girls thought he was the cutest and all guys kind of envied my man. I, I wish that I looked like that. I wish I was like that. But his character didn't change. So it was really strange. I remember this one time, sophomore, junior year, we noticed that, hey, he's still sitting at the same table. He sat in elementary school and middle school. But he wasn't one of them anymore, right? He wasn't an easy target. So I remember one of the the guys from the football team coming to him and going, hey, man, come sit at our table. Come sit at our table. You're one of us now. And I remember this guy looking at him going, hey, listen, no thanks. I appreciate the invite. I'm going to stay here. And the football player goes, why? He goes, I haven't forgotten what it was like to sit alone. I remember sitting by myself. And I remember being an easy target. And now that I'm not, I'm still going to act like I haven't forgotten. And I'm going to show kindness and love and peace and humility and harmony, even though I've changed. But what do we often see, students? What do we often see, adults? Oftentimes, there's many studies out there, those who've been abused emotionally, sexually, physically, Those who have been abused, when they actually go out from their slavery, they end up being gone to the what? The abuser. So those who are bullied, look for those to bully. It's a wild known fact. And God says, no matter if you are the servant or the master, you are both slaves and now you're both free. Treat each other in the remembrance of salvation. So as we close here in prayer, that is our story. And that is where there is gold in Exodus 21. Nobody in this room besides Samuel own any ox. Or most likely will be killing any sorcerers today. 
But everybody in here is a former slave. And everybody in here now, hopefully, if you are living with the Holy Spirit, are now free. And we have people in here with a lot of money and people in here with very little. And we have some that have a lot and some with very little. We have some who are old and some who are young. And God goes, no matter who you are, from my child to my senior, do not ever look at yourself as a slave, but do not ever become a pharaoh to those around you. Never become a pharaoh to those around you. Treat people with the grace and the mercy and the love and the freedom that you yourself have freely experienced. Let's bow our heads. God, we thank you for today. Lord, I pray that you humble us this morning. Some of us have forgotten our slavery to sin. For so many of us, we have become self-righteous at times. We have placed judgment on those. We have become masters in our own life and we have forgotten. We have forgotten that there was a moment in our life where we were easy targets. And now some of us stand free, but we have forgotten that there was a day when we weren't. And so the scripture in Deuteronomy, what it says is, is bless and love our neighbor. Show them grace, show them the love of Christ. Why? Because you have experienced this. I myself am a sinner and broken, fail on a daily basis. But the only hope that this pastor has is through the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. And the sooner I know that is the quicker I can pour it on to other people around me. Let us... Love well because we have been loved well. In your precious and holy name, the church says in harmony, amen.